0: I am a Jedi,
1: like my father before me. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to eighty-eight. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. Don't kill me, man!
0: I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me.
1: What are you? I'm Batman. Yeah!
0: hey what's going on everybody it is the screen kings podcast and uh we're trying something new today just a little bit um first off unfortunately it's just me today but don't tune out just yet um i wanted to do, try something um like uh maybe every so often i pick either a director that i'm following or an actor and maybe just talk about them and some of their, my favorite works of theirs and uh, today i have chosen um somebody you may know uh, a director by the name of david lynch who i've just been uh, clamoring over lately i've been looking into to a lot of his work and he's just a really interesting figure when when you research him he's he's really uh, eccentric you know he's known for making really creepy films um, You know, just one of those uh, directors you don't want to meet in a dark alley. Um, master of, like, tone and things like that, you know, uh, story-based. He's not, uh, you know, a freaking Michael Bay with explosions. It's all about character and mood and and just, like, every time you watch one of his movies, you just leave it and you're just, like, you, your skin is just crawling and you're like, oh what? like, what was that, what, like, like, it morphs your brain, you know, so to speak, just, just an eerie dude, but just, uh, I wanted to talk about three of his movies today, and maybe a couple other things, um, some of which I'd recommend, uh, one where I'm going to start at, uh, that I don't recommend, but, you know, that you see, but just, maybe as a like uh you know you have nothing else to do and i'll tell you this movie is very strange to say the least but uh at the same time it's very boring and that movie is dune 1984 um this movie it was uh you know you got star wars out at, at around this time and it was at, at the height of its popularity and you know, studios were clamoring, oh, we, we got to do space films, you know. And uh, David Lynch stepped up. And David Lynch was actually supposed to direct uh, Return of the Jedi, if I'm not mistaken. It's one of the Star Wars films. Lucas wanted him to direct, possibly because of this film. Or, you know, just maybe Lucas liked the guy and liked his work. But uh, he declined because, you know, he's just cool like that. He's like, oh, they want me to direct Star Wars, uh... I have better things to do with my time. Maybe he didn't want to get wrapped up in the obscurity of, uh, you know, Hollywood, and he wanted to stick to his roots and make a a weird, a weird space film. Because, trust me, Dune, the things in Dune, you could not get away with in a Star Wars film. Um, It starts off slow. You know, it's got, it, it's just, you know, a lot of expository dialogue. You know, first as a woman comes up, she's kind of like the... uh like a like the crawl text for star wars um and the seven kingdoms and the universe was uh, interesting, and you know, and the fact these factions versus this factions, and there's a lot of factions there's like six or seven different planets they talk about, and they're all in like this war for this planet, this dune planet, which apparently has some kind of miracle mineral, which is like. The key to having like uh, you know Im- immortality, like they can mine this commodity that's on this one little dirt ball planet known as Dune, and they can use it to like make themselves immortal. It's a pretty interesting sounding so far, you know. And they talk about all the factions. There's these guys over there. Basically, to cut it you know and and make it simple as possible, it's the there's good guys, right? And there's bad guys, and there's uh, neutral. There's neutral party, basically. But um, yeah. Uh, the main, the lead character is uh, a guy named Kyle McLaughlin. Which uh, like uh, you you may know him. He's in a couple of things. It might have been one of the main reasons this movie didn't do well because he's, you know, he's been in some stuff, but he's. They needed an action star to run this movie, and that's what he was trying to go for. This was his first role. David Lynch really went out on limb going with this guy, and he's one of David Lynch's, like, boys. Like, you know, you got Robert De Niro is Martin Scors- Scorsese's boy, and, you know, you see all these actors that, you know, kind of mold to a director, you know, and uh, this was, like, his boy. Like, he was in a lot of other Lynch's films, and in uh, Twin Peaks, he played a big role in that, uh, in that uh, TV show, but... Yeah, I mean, as a leading action film, you wouldn't. I don't know if you if you'd take this guy. I mean, he's he 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 didn't bring in a lot of scenes. Any scenes he did when he was like trying to do action, like a sword fight, it just looked terrible. Um, and you know he's he's got a he's got a weak chin, man. What what do you want? Like the guy was just is just not an action star like like Arnold. You know, like he's one of the greatest action stars and even though he's he can't really speak english like if he's supposed to play an american guy he sounds like oh and if he's playing a british guy he sounds like oh but we don't care because that man's got a chin that could carve stone he's got a solid chin man and he can be an action star this guy is not that guy He's, he's he he seems whimpering you don't believe it you know he's not a flash gordon or you know even a luke skywalker he's just you know, seems kind of playing. He's a good, you know. I don't want to beat the guy up too much. He's a good actor, you know. And Lynch went with him, you know. He 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 did his lines, but I, I think the movie could have been a lot better had they, you know, got somebody different. But um, you know, this movie it, it it uh, cost uh, forty million dollars to make, which if you think nineteen eighty four forty million dollars, that's gargantuan. You know, that's like a hundred and eighty million dollar movie today. And I guess I'm guessing the studio was like. Well, we we need a Star Wars, and we know look at Star Wars; it don't cost cheap. If we want success like that, we're gonna have to pony up. So they gave Lynch forty million dollars. It only made thirty million dollars, which is bad. Oh, which uh, you know, rightly, rightfully so, because even though this movie does have a lot of neat concepts, as I said, it's it's just so boring. You know, it's like think if they tried to cram all the seasons of Game of Thrones into one season or one two hour movie. You know, you. You got so many different factions you're talking about, and the audience is like, "Oh, the nablers and the zippa zips and the durka durks and the derps," and you're like, "Wait, who is who and who is good?" And you only got two and a half hours to tell the story. I mean, it's just almost it's undoable for anybody, you know. And I think I I don't know how David Lynch felt on that when he was making this film, but he he had to understand, you know the the process he had in front of him, you know, when you, you got all these factions and all these kooky characters, but, um, like, and like I said, like, they're all after this spice, you know, a miracle, a miracle type drug, and, you know, there's a lot of confusing words in it that you don't understand, like, they're going for, like, Shakespeare, but in space. I will say it was, uh, in the year 10,000, and, you know, you see a lot of these movies, like, Blade Runner, and stuff like that this movie is a lot like blade runner if you've seen that but think blade runner uh with the thing you know just gruesome creatures but with like a lot of neat looking set pieces and like matte backgrounds that were uh you know painted beautifully and it just brings you into that world in the year ten thousand. like but yeah you know, like i was saying in the year ten thousand, you know that works because i was like well, i think blade runner is like set in like the year 2050 i'm like i'm thinking 40 years the, the if you think we're going to be even close to this where you got these huge cities with all kinds of like huge spaceships flying around the year 10,000 i buy it i buy it i think i think by the time we get to 10,000 we'll be there so you know that was something that uh, i think they thought ahead and it, it's cool like uh on the dune planet there's like uh another faction which is like the uh you know like the the inhabitants of the planet like like the 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 natives you know and like to them like water is currency it's really cool like like how they do that like in a lot of ways like just like i know one thing one time the fiend said uh you're worth your weight in water like we would say gold like it's like money to them on their planet because you know when you're on a planet that's completely made of dust, you, you're you going to get thirsty quick. I mean, and for some reason, they all had weird, like, blue eyes, like glowing blue eyes. Like, and I, it really stuck out, and, like, your weight, and, like, like, of the people could be spies, because once you see the person with the freaking glowing blue eyes, you're like, okay, that that's one of the natives, you know, kill him, he's in the way. But, uh, and then, like, when the, later on, the dude, I, I'm going to try not to cut forward, but, uh. I'm gonna to try to keep on track here um it was weird because like uh you know you see the main character and like it's at the beginning and he's with his people and he's kind of like a like a scrub like a like a new soldier and like uh, everybody's trying to train him and get him ready and like then all of a sudden you see Patrick Stewart walk in and this is pre-star Trek you know Patrick Stewart and you, you're thinking what is he doing there and, like, they do this thing to where, like, uh, he attacks him from behind and in, like, a, you know, like, just, like, not playing, but, like, training. Like, like uh, this guy better be ready for me, Patrick Stewart, you know, coming at you with a knife. And, like, they press these things on their belts that, like, turn them into cube people. Keep with me. So you got a cube Patrick Stewart lunging at you with a knife. And this guy, like, takes him down and, like, you can barely see the knife through the cubes. And I guess it's like a force field, maybe, but it makes them all cube and like, like, uh, like, you know, like when a TV's tracking, like, uh, like off to the side, like that's what they looked like. It's hard to explain. It just looked really weird and it looked really stupid, I'll be honest with you. But that's the only time they did it in the whole movie. Like, I'm thinking, like, later on in the movie when there's other fights and like, why ain't the guy turn on his cube armor? Like, if he turned on his cube armor, this guy wouldn't stab him. But no. Um, but yeah, you see Q Patrick Stewart, just for a moment, and that's the only time that's brought up, again, it, I, I think when they said it conceptually, it was cool ideal, but it, it, practically, when it was done, it looked kind of dumb, and you know, like I said, this movie's 84, so you could tell, and like I said, it looked like bad tracking on a VCR or something, it was more funny than, you know, anything else, but, uh, like, uh, what else about the movie, there was good miniatures, you know, like, uh, like I said it looked great, you know it had forty million dollars in it for the time so it it had the maximum budget, like I said, you got like like uh uh blade runner type ships and these big creatures and like uh like it's cool like at one point you see like this big sand crawler, I guess they use them for mining like walking through the desert. I think like a an Adat from Star Wars. Like, it was just cool seeing it stomp around, and, like, they made it look good. It was just a miniature, but it looked really good. Um, like, and then uh, when that miniature's walking around, it gets even cooler because apparently on this this world there's, like, sandworms. But not, like, you know, your daddy sandworms, like freaking um, Tremors and uh, Beetlejuice. Like, these things are real deal. They're, like, you got this huge add at and then... Like, the sandworm comes out of the sand and eats it. That tells you how big it is. It's like a freaking mountain. And it looked really, coo- you know, cool and practical. And, you know, it was just cool how they did effects like that in the 80s. That, you know, it would just be a CGI mess today. But, you know, how they did that, that was cool. That was cool. The uh, the big old sandworm. Um, they, and then you uh thinking the villain, which was probably the most awesome thing about this movie, was the villain... They brought in uh, Kenneth McMillan, which was kind of, char- he was a character actor of the day. I don't remember him in much, but like uh, that one movie where like there's three stories, I think it's called Tales of Horror or something like that, and he was like an evil, greedy guy, but just a great character actor from the 80s that died, like I think late 80s, early 90s, somewhere around there, but it was it's always fun to see him and stuff, and I was excited to see this movie because I knew he was the villain, but... Th- let me tell you about a villain folks this guy was just one of the most disgusting evil like lynch put every one of his his you know tricks that you know into this guy just to make him the most horrific disgusting thing and then his right hand man was brad dorf when i saw him i was like brad dorf's in this movie you know chucky himself the guy who plays the voice of chucky and he was uh he was Billy from uh, one Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and I think he was in the Rob Zombie uh, Halloween movies. But you know, he's just got that voice. Uh, he was in Lord of the Rings. He played like uh, Sauron or uh, uh, the uh, the other uh, the evil wizard's right hand man. You know, he's just got that voice about him that bring you know can bring an evilness to a character. You know, you hear Chucky's voice you immediately you know you get chills down your spine cuz he's just so you know that's his trademark but it was like Brad Dorf and Kenneth McMillan in this movie like a old duo and he and like just their their mentalities like when something bad happened like he would touch all over his face Brad Dorf for like no reason and he's just really weird looking like anxious all the time and kind of jittery and you know made you uncomfortable and then uh Kenneth McMillan who is uh pl- he plays a guy named Baron, uh, what was his name, Baron, uh, like, uh, Harkonnen, Baron Harkonnen, which is, like, the Darth Vader of this film. And he had, like, like for some reason, he's, like, a big fat guy, but he floats around everywhere. Like, apparently he's got some kind of anti-gravity technology. Even just, like, to walk into the next room, he's just floating, like, two inches above the ground for no apparent reason which is kind of silly and funny at the same time. And then he's got like these huge pus filled sacks all on his face. Like you just see like dudes cleaning out and like every so often, like he'll just be sitting there and they'll just be popping the zits on his face and cleaning out just a very disgusting and disturbing figure. Like, like just like the worst, like greasy, everybody sweating, you know, and for some reason, I don't know why, but David Lynch made them all gingers. I don't know if he's trying to say something there, like he has something against them. Like, the bad guys in this movie are all ginger. Harkonnen, Braddorf, all of his minions, and they're all, like, greasy, and every time you see one walk on the screen, like, just a a regular guy, he's, he's a ginger, he's all sweaty, and he just looks like he's got, like, a satisfied look on his face. Like, oh, yeah, just like... Like, they're all in, like, ecstasy because maybe, like, where they come from, they do whatever they want. You know, it's kind of like a impulsive planet where, like, all these ginger dudes just, like, like feel all over each other and just very disturbing. Like, and you see him, like, Baron Harkonnen goes over to one of his servants. And, like, apparently the only way he gets off is, like, he goes over to the servant and, and like, they all have, like, these plugs on their chest like it's like I guess like maybe a a deterrent like if they try to do anything or escape you can just pull these plugs on their chest and it goes straight to their heart and like empties out all their blood so as soon as you pull the plug on their chest it's like just easy to pull out like they start bleeding everywhere and basically die and he just goes over to one of them like just this innocent boy and like he's just looking at him like oh I'm effed and he like and Baron Harkonnen just pulls the plug out of his chest and he starts bleeding everywhere And then he just, like, puts his tongue down his throat and starts making out with him as he's dying. It's very messed up, folks. It's very messed up. Like, he just made these, like, Nazis times. You know, some kind of freakish space mutants. Just the worst kind of sick people you can imagine. And, like, uh like apparently like as refreshments you see like one of them like the, the big goofy looking ginger fat guy sweating everywhere like he picks up this little juice pouch and i guess it's like nourishment like in the juice pouch is a rat and you press this button on the side and like crushes the rat and then you drink out of it and that's your that's your juice box folks um just <laughs> very uh disturbing things in this film and like uh like, they catch one of the rebels, the Harkonnens, catch one and bring him in. And then, you know, they put the thing in his chest. So if he, you know, tries to make a flush, they just pull it out and he bleeds out and dies. And, like, they tell him, like, okay, dude. The Baron sits him down. He's like, okay, dude, here's the thing. You're poisoned. Okay. And they bring in this cat. It's just like a skin, like, Siamese cat or whatever, like, the like, Dr. Evil's cat. And he's, like, hooked up to this device. He's just, like, sitting in it, like, what the F is going on? And they bring him in, and he's like, okay, now you're poisoned, and the antidote is within this cat, and you have to milk it each day. Get the antidote and drink it, or you will die. And just leaves him there. And that's the end of that. That's where that ends. You never see that guy or that cat again. Baffling, folks. Baffling. (laughs) I mean, just like, like, I don't know if he did it. Like, why did they need to? I mean, that really doesn't sound as bad as it could be. You know, as long as I milk this cat, I'm fine. They're not beating me or torturing me. You know, I just, I got to be good. And I got I to gotta milk this cat every day. <laughs> I couldn't make this up, man. This is from the mind of this David Lynch character. The, you know, the, the spotlight is on him today and just his weird, I mean, I, he's the writer on this. So this is just coming out of his head. He's just, I don't know if he's just saying anything. If this was a lifelong dream to put this movie together but it's it's uh you know it's something else this guy like like one time he's got this woman like tied up and the baron walks over and he's like i'm uh i'm gonna spit on you now and he just like 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 gets a loogie and he just he just spits on a woman's face and walks away it's just a very weird and awkward scene like he just doesn't come over and spit on her and walk away and say scum you no, know, he does it all weird. and he, he he makes sure it gets everywhere, and it's just disgusting. And then Brad Dorf comes over, and like takes his index finger and like moves the spit around and says something stupid to her, and just like just very weird, and uh, just a messed up film, folks. Um, like in uh, there's uh what what happens next? Like you see them and they're. And the one guy who's, you know, the lead, I'm not sure what his name is. Uh, We'll just call him uh, Kyle, you know, because I don't remember what his name in the film is. It's how unmemorable he is as a lead, unfortunately. But, uh, like, him, he's flying to uh, to the Baron's Palace or whatever, and, like, Max von Sydow is, like, the driver. But he's, like, with the neutral party. Like, there's a good party, and the neutral party... Max von Sydow is the driver and he's part of the neutral party and got the good guy in the back seat stay with me I thought that was funny I was like yeah I know I've seen that that's the guy from Star Wars ain't? that's my Max von Sydow on his day. but it's weird like apparently he knows something cause it was like well the spice on this planet is uh is like uh it's sacred and like we gotta stay out of the way of the mighty moon worms and he's like the guy in the back's like well, is there some connection with the moonworms and the spice? And Max Von was like, No. Why would you think that? That's that's silly. It's it's baffling. You know right away, okay, this fucker's hiding something. I don't know what it is. But he knows more than he's letting on. But uh I don't know really where that goes. Like uh like apparent you know, there's a coup. And like all the good guys get attacked by the Baron and then all of Max Van Sidel's guys also attack the neutral party, he decides to side with the bad guys, and they take him down. And then it's just the dude and his, you know, the dude Kyle, the main guy, his his dad and his mom left. And they try to get his dad to poison the uh, the Baron, but you know, he accidentally poisons Brad Dorf and said, So there's Brad Dorf dead, and the Baron's like, Oh, I'm alive. That's awesome. I live good let's move on um but yeah just like uh like they like then the guys like okay we're effed. uh who are we going to get to take down you know now the bad guys the har uh the horror okens or whatever they're called you know uh the big guys group and and now they're teamed up with the neutral guys cuz apparently they're going to use the spice for evil methods whatever the bad guys are winning and the good guy doesn't have a clue what to do next there's a lot of expository dialogue that i'm not going to get into about so-and-so's faction and the moonworms and all that Well, fact is he needs help so he goes to like the natives you know the people with the blue eyes and apparently he enters their camp and they're like oh we don't want you here and then they find out like his mother's a psychic and they're like oh now we'll make you our king very quickly just all of a sudden he's there He's their king. Think of him, like, coming in like uh, Jake Sully in Avatar, and he gets the blue people on his side. Maybe maybe that's where, uh, oh, what's his face got it from? You know, he's that or Ferngully, one of the two. James Cameron is a thief. We know that. Anyways, you know, he gets the the freakish Dune people on his side, and then he goes out, and, like, they make these guns. Like, I don't know where he gets all these guns, but all of a sudden he, he says, here's this stone pillar. He's like, okay, you come over and kick it, and the guy kicks it, and it's unfaced. It's like the strongest metal in the planet. He tells him to kick it, and he kicks it, and nothing happens. He's like, okay, now punch it. And if I'm that guy, I'm like, well, I just kicked it, and it didn't do anything. So now you want me to punch it and freaking break my hand? The guy does it anyways, and he's like, he punches it, and everybody's like, oh, I mean, I don't know if in their species, like, kicking is less effective than punching anyways, whatever, you know. And then he's like okay, now you shoot it, and then he shoots it, and like, okay, this thing's strong, okay, it's sturdy, uh, nothing's going to penetrate, and then he pulls out this device where he, like, says a word, like, think of, like, Skyrim, like it, like a, like a yell, he just yells something into this gun, and then you fire the trigger, and it shoots that, like this, like a sound wave, so, you know, <laughs> baffling, I know, and then, of course, when he does that, the brick explodes, and then everybody's like, oh!
1: Oh well, this is a powerful weapon. We could use this maybe to uh, take our planet back. Derp a derp.
0: And then apparently they have like a thousand of these things laying around, so now everybody's got one and they're gonna do a siege on uh, uh, you know, uh, Baron Harnoken and all of his people. And you know, but they can't yet first they gotta go do so- something else really cool. So what the guy does is you know he puts this thing in the ground like uh, you know on tremors, like he's just making a lot of noise with this thing and the mighty moonworm uh, jumps out of the ground, he latches onto it, uh, puts these hooks in it and apparently putting these hooks in it that just look like regular hooks you buy, it, like freaking bass pro shot make this, this moonworm that's the size of a mountain is now under his control. and like he controls other ones too. I don't know if it has something to do with maybe the psychic background of the movie. Anyways, it's silly. You know he gets the moonworms on his side. He's like, let's go destroy them, and you know, happy ending. You know they take the moonworms. You know it's like a two-year apparently, like a two-year process of going around this planet and destroying all like the like the mines, like where they they're taking the you know uh, the spice from these people. And, like, uh, you know, they, and then finally they get to siege in the base. It's all very boring and all very, like, oh, come on, come on. At this point in the movie, I was like, uh, just let this, you know, movie be over. Uh, you know, like, there's this little psychic girl, very anticlimactic ending for the bad guy. Um, Like, this little psychic girl, like, pulls tubes out of him, and you know how he floats around. He, like, starts floating away like a balloon that's getting the air taken out of it. Dumb, he, float, he flops out of the top of the pyramid and into one of the moonworm's mouths, and that's the end of him, and that was the end of the bad guy. But you got to understand there's still a bunch of gingers around to kill. All these big, sweaty, beefy gingers would probably B-O and just do anything they want. You know, they're sieging the base, and they're killing them with these stupid little guns that you just shout into. Shout anything into them, and it'll shoot that shout at somebody else baffling, I know. Keep with me. But they're sieging the base, um, you know. And after it's all over, there's this great scene where, like, they finally, you know, kill them all and they've taken it back. And it just shows like uh, a panning shot of the whole room, and they're just all like, "What? What the hell do we do now? We, we won. They're just standing there, all look. Nobody's saying a word. They're just standing around, like, okay, that was cool. Uh, what you guys want to do now, you know?" Uh, Go pick up some Dairy Queen or something. You know, just, just looking like a bunch of tools just standing around. And then, uh, like, the the main dude, Kyle, comes out, and he's like, wait a minute, there is one sur- one remaining. And he points at a ginger across the room, who's kind of like third in command, and they're Harnokin and, uh, and old Brad Dwarf, who's already dead. They're both already dead. And they're like, this ginger's got to go, too, because if David Lynch lets one of these bastards live, then who knows what kind of havoc they could wreak later on the universe. So there's one ginger left, and he brings him up, and they have, like, some knife fight that looks terrible. And, of course, the good guy finally stabs him. They're like, oh, the prophecy has come true. The last ginger is dead. Hooray. And, uh, you know, like, and then it's kind of got, like, a holes ending. Now that the last ginger is dead and stabbed it starts raining like you remember the ending of holes where like all the prophecies come true and now stanley yell nets and now it's raining ah yay and now the planet dune finally has water coming down and oh it's great and uh you know that's pretty much how it ended um like i said i wouldn't recommend it because god you will be bored through 90 percent of this movie trust me when i say i made it sound a lot cooler than it is just trust me on that um like I said, there's some fun things, some gory, some kooky things, but so much expository dialogue. If you're into that weird imagery and you're a fan of, like, 80s movies, especially like um, like Blade Runner, if you're a big fan of that one, I would totally recommend it. But if you're, like, the average Joe, like I said, this is probably really going to bore you. Not one of his greatest ones, but just one that I watched that I was like, ah this baffling movie, I have to talk about it, you know, just, just to, you know, just to talk about it, because it's just so insane, some of the concepts in this movie, I will say, my favorite concept, though, of the movie, right, was, uh, like, these, uh, like, these suits that the natives wore, and, like, if you walk around in it, like, when you sweat, like, the suit will take your sweat and transfer it, the, like, you know separate the salt from the sweat into water and then you can drink it man like just walking around like there's a little tube in your mouth and once you sweat you can, you can drink it and you got water and apparently like like that's how these people survive in this desolate planet that has no water they walk around in these suits and you can duty in it too dude no joke you can just walk around and just squat and just duty all in this suit you know and i and of all the cool creations, you know, and I, I guess they take the duty and they maybe make it into like a like a cliff bar, which is what I think cliff bars are made of, I think. But, you know, that's a different conspiracy for a different date. But, you know, just an interesting, you know, uh, concept just to have suits like that of all the insane gadgets and crazy things that they show in this movie. That one, I don't know, piqued my interest the most for some strange reason, just to just to you know have that and just basically be able to live wherever for however long you want because you have endless food and water you know you recycle dookie and uh, sweat and you know nothing goes to waste i don't know if it, if it's endless but you know it just makes you be able to survive much longer than you would have it got a 56 percent on rotten tomatoes pretty low and uh you know uh, i guess it just got that that high, to be honest, because you know just the weird imagery, and maybe it's, it's David Lynch, and a lot of critics love him because you know he's his own man. He's like, "F the system, I'm me, fight me." I'm gonna do my thing. You do your thing. No uh, big Hollywood crazy movies, but yeah, that's Dune. Like I said, if you, if you think you'd be into that, check it out. Uh, if you think it would bore you, I, I would skip it. You know, I I you know bought it off the Xbox Marketplace for three ninety nine. You know, I was gonna, you know, go to a, maybe a book and music exchange or like a thrift store and buy it, but I can never find it. It's never nowhere, so I ended up just renting it, and I'm glad I did. Cause if I bought it, I'd probably be pretty mad. You know, just four nine nine or three nine nine off Xbox. Great for if you want a night where you think you're gonna go insane. But uh, the next movie is not garbage. The next movie is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Uh, David Lynch, um, his biopic on The Elephant Man. It's got a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Great, oh my God, great movie. You, you combine David Lynch's storytelling with this eerie feel. You know, it's all black and white, uh, made in 1980. Um, but uh, the prosthetics that he did, like, art. I looked up old pictures of The Elephant Man, and they they got really close i mean it's spot on you know you got they put john hurt up in all these prosthetics and like just his performance and how he walked was perfect um but yeah the tone you know i've had my own personal demons with this movie because i saw it when i was way too young not all the way through but just like a certain scene or two where like he's displayed as more of a monster and less of a man and I don't know. I was just terrified of the Elephant Man when I was, you know, younger. Just the gruesome deformities that the, you know, this poor man, you know, suffered with almost his whole life. Just like, and David Lynch is always known to be really good with how he portrays these, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, practical effects on, you know, makeup and 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 the black and white helps it. I don't know if it had been in color if it had been as jarring because like. I don't know if, like, the makeup would have been as good, but the fact that it's black and white, you buy it because maybe you can't see the textures as well. So you're like, that that's John Merrick. Or Joseph Merrick was his real name. I don't know why they call him John in the movie. Maybe David Lynch just thought it sounded... I mean, the actual Elephant's Man's name is John, or uh, Joseph Merrick, but he's John Merrick in this movie. I don't know, I think that's a common misconception that his name is is uh, John, but it's Joseph. But, uh, like he suffers from, well, they never knew for a long time what he suffered from, but, uh, you know, doctors recently is like, well, it was probably a combination of a couple of things where we're almost certain he had proteus syndrome, which is like you get these, you know, it, when he's born, he looks fine, you know, day one, but like at six months to a year, you start getting these huge tumors that just start to grow, and like you're, it's not even it's more than just tumors it's like your bones start to misform and like just horribly disfigure you and deform you and like some kind of like just to to grow up with that you got to understand this kid in the 1800s just his whole life he's just getting more freakish as the day goes on and there's he knows there's nothing he can do about it it's just it would just be an awful existence and you know it it starts off um you know, he's he's in like a uh, a carnival, which, you know, freak shows then, I mean, we think of a freak show today like, oh, my God, that was terrible. How dare they do that? They, you know, uh, you know exploited all these people. But you got to understand back then, if you didn't have a trait or a skill and you were a horribly disformed, disfigured, you know, uh, person who can't move well. You know, he walked with a cane everywhere. There's no way for you to make money. You know, you worked in a factory or, you know, you you worked in a factory. That's how you made money. But, you know, he he had no way to do that. So a lot of people looked at the freak shows then as like, oh, they're helping these people. They can make a living. They can actually live and survive, like maybe like the dwarves or, you know, people that, you know, couldn't normally have a functioning job or function in society because, again, also just the culture then, just how, you know, ignorant the, the you know people were even in like the early 1950s they were think about the 1850s a hundred years before then how people would view this man and the, how they viewed people with deformities and but you know they they really uh, focus good on that in this movie just how he survived and and who he really was deep down that you know he wasn't just a monster you know. Proteus Syndrome is an ugly thing, but he didn't have mental retardation with it. And, you know, um, the whole first part of the movie, they're portraying him, like how David Lynch does it. He brings these shots in where, like, you don't see him. You just, like, uh, like they come in and there's ominous tones and you see, well, Anthony Hopkins, I'll get to him, but you see him, like, uh, going around the corner and going through the halls of this freak show, and everybody's laughing at the bearded lady, and then you just see this one woman coming down the hall screaming, like, oh, my God. So you're like, okay. They walk past all these other freaks, and they were fine, but they they walk past this exhibit, and they're like, oh, oh. But, uh, like, he doesn't get to see it, so they're, they're dragging you yeah, out at this point, but in a good way, they're building tension. Like, you think you're going to see him in the freak show, but you don't, like... Like, uh like they refuse to show it. The cops come in, they're like, Okay, we know there's such thing, you know, these freak shows are fun and everything, but this is this is something different. You gotta shut this down. And they kick this guy out of the freak show. He's so gruesome, he can't even be part of the freak show. Which, you know, what's that saying about the guy? So, you know, him and his handler, I guess you would call him this guy, you know, it's kind of a partnership, him and the elephant man, he's like Okay, I'll be your call, your open man, your your hype guy, and uh, pay you and feed you, and you perform for me by you know just standing up and showing the people what you are—that you're a monster—and he's very evil towards him, and you know very like dog and master kind of relationship. You know, when he does something he doesn't like, he beats him. I don't know how much of the story is an actual. They say the story is not at all based off the, you know, the play, which is all fiction. I'm pretty sure it's based off, you know, recounting of his life and a lot of things. I think there's some things thrown in there to fill the gaps, but the majority of this movie is really what happened back then and how this man lived, and accounts from people who knew him and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, they're uh, they're building the tension of when he's going to see him, and Anthony Hopkins in this film is amazing. He plays the doctor that's that's interested, it's like him and his colleagues at the, at the doctor's office kind of like go out and find, you know, disfigures, disfigurement in people and show them to their colleagues, kind of like put them on display, which is also kind of, um, what's the word, you know, uh, exploiting them. But, you know, for science, can we study them? And it's kind of like a, a hunt, like who can find the most disturbing freak of all. And basically that's what his intentions are in the beginning. You know, uh, there's an arc for his character, of course. But, you know, just the doctor he plays. They say this is the reason he got to play Hannibal Lecter was his doctor performance in this. You know, he's not evil. He's not a freak. He's not going to, you know, you know, uh, make muttering minks eat his own tongue or something. But, you know, he's he's got that Anthony Hopkins gravitas. You know, at first he comes in, he's interested, and he wants to see him. And he's like, okay, here's a coin. You know, he, like the guy's in a back alley showing him off now. And he's like. I want to see him. He's like, no, shop's closed. You'll have to come back later. And he like, you know, he's a doctor, so he's got money. He's like, look, I'll pay. I need to see this guy now. They bring him in. Of course, ominous tone is just building. And then you just like see a figure next to like the fire, like getting warm under a blanket. You can see like he had one normal arm, like so you just see his one normal arm like getting you know reaching out to get warm, and like the rest of him's covered by this veil. And then you know the the hype man does his speech, and Anthony Hopkins gets to see him. They open the you know the uh, the shroud, and there he is, and he stands up, and man, just like like I said, just very unsettling. Just all the deformities this poor man had to go through, and he's telling him turn around and like whipping him, and like you know show off. And Anthony Hopkins, you it pans back to him, and he, you know, his mouth is agape. He's like, I've never seen such a poor individual with such such a an alarming amount of, of disorders and disfigurements. Like, like I'm going to win this week's, uh, you know, Deadpool for sure, or, you know, like the pot, like whatever competition. Like, he's he knows he's got it wrapped up. So, you know, he asked this man, he's like, okay, I'll give you this money. I just want to bring him in and show him off to my people, uh, you know, for one day. And the guy's like, okay, I like money. That sounds good. He's going to go here and do this. So um let's see uh but the whole time he's bringing them in and like he's he like brings him in a cab and of course he's covered and he's got like this big really eerie uh mask/hat on like to cover his face and everything where like he can only see out one eye hole cuz i don't think his other eyes functional so it's kind of like a gruesome monster parading around you don't see what's under it you just see like oh uh, whatever is under this thing it's either a very poor man or just you know some kind of you know maybe an elderly woman something's under this but like it creeps in and like he asks him his name and he asks him a bunch of questions but he's you know he just like grunts and like kind of plays the dummy like like at one point anthony hopkins is talking to a man he's like oh yes he's an idiot he's a simpleton you know uh, you know suffers from mental retardation he can't talk he can't speak He's just an anomaly. And then, you know, they bring him down. And then when he shows him to his colleagues, it's in, like, a big medical, like, uh, like college classroom, you would say. And, like, you don't see him, but you just see his silhouette and just, like, all the people's reactions to just, like, how gruesome he is, you know. And, uh, you know, he's still playing the dummy. Like, he can't talk. And, like, like he's wandering around uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins' uh, – uh, office you know uh, into different things and just seeing him like uh like he's interested with things because uh, you know i i can't imagine the guy got you know got out very much so you now he's going through stuff he's still not talking uh just building tension and you still really don't get to see a good look of him you got to see him in like the fire but you really didn't get to see a, he's more of a horror figure at this point like when steven spielberg didn't show jaws but you knew a big-ass shark was there, and he was going to eat somebody, and that's kind of how they're portraying him at this point, and that's, that's interesting to do with this character, because, you know, he, that's, that's how the world portrayed him. He's a monster. He's a freak. He's simpleton, you know, and I think at this point in the movie, he's got, you know, the life he's lived, that's the part he's playing. He's like, that's all people are ever going to see of me. That's just what I'm going to do. That's what I am. I play this part, and I just try to get through life, and Try to have some kind of existence, if any at all, you know. And it's weird, like, like it t- it tells you how bad medicine was back then. The doctor diagnosed his condition as like, of course they didn't, you know, con- you know, diagnosis is what the hell is this, you know? That's what they diagnosed it, but like they said it was because like his mother fell when she was at the, uh, like the uh, the circus, and like an elephant startled her, and like that's how he diagnosed her son as the elephant man because she told him that story and he's like okay he's the elephant man doesn't have nothing to do with elephantitis that's a completely different disorder disease you know it's it's just that story is the where he got his name which like i said that just shows you how backwards the uh society was then you know and he plays the dummy and you know but at that point like uh maybe something in um uh anthony Hopkins. Maybe not like, like makes him feel bad for the creature, but like he's he's interested. He's like, there's, I don't know what it is, but but there's something more to this to this man. And I, maybe he does feel sympathy for him, and he's like, look at how this freak, you know, this a hole is treating him. He's you know confining him and beating him, and I've seen images of that. You know, I'm gonna take him into the hospital, and I'm gonna care for him just for a little while. Into my hospital. They're putting him up in, like, the quarantine area where nobody else is. Like, uh, you know, it's for, like, people who have, like, bad diseases that they don't want to spread. So nobody's up there. And then, like, uh, there's a horrific scene where, like, he he takes him to his room up there in, like, the top of the hospital and, like, the bell tower. Maybe that's, you know, uh, like, saying it's kind of like the hunchback of Notre Dame. They're kind of, like, comparing it to that. Uh, but uh um, like anthony hopkins is caring for him in this hospital and like one scene that's just very disturbing he like i'm pretty sure it's one of the scenes that really disturbed me when i was a little kid when i saw it because i didn't know what to expect but he like gives this nurse like uh, soup because he's he got caught he was taking soup up to him to feed him but he got caught up talking to a colleague and he's like can you take this soup up to this room yeah don't worry dear he won't hurt you he's because everybody's kind of talking like, "What? What did that? What did old Anthony Hopkins bring to the hospital? You know, what's he got up there in his tower? What?" And she goes up there, and it's really building, and you know, ominous. And all you've seen of this guy so far is him being, you know, a monster, basically, in you know, a disfigured beast, and like uh, the nurse slowly opens the door and when she opens it you know there he is on the bed and he's looking at her and she's looking at him and both of them just freak out like he starts to really get you you just see the nervousness and the fear on his face he's like he knows what he's going to do to this poor woman but he also knows that he can't help it because of the way he looks you know and he's trying to like desperately like fiddle to get the covers up over him to you know cover himself and she drops a soup and starts screaming and running out of the room which is you know actually it's kind of you know you understand why you know this poor woman in the 30s she seemed like a nice not the 30s but like the, this probably early 1900s i would imagine these events would take place but uh like drops the soup and runs out of the room screaming and then anthony happens like oh fuck what did i do he runs up and he's like no there's nothing to fear You know, sorry about that. But just, like, this is the first time you see him not more as a monster. Like, he's just – he's a scared person like anybody else. He's just playing this part. And maybe at the same time, Anthony Hopkins sees that, you know, and uh, even feels more sympathy for him, you know. So he tries to talk to him, and, like, they're not going to let him stay in the hospital because they believe, like, he's a simpleton – He's not gonna make nothing of himself. And they tell Anthony Hopkins, he's like, You got a week and you're gonna take your have to take your monster somewhere else. And he's talking to him and he's like he's like, I think you just play the simpleton. He's like, I think you can understand everything I'm saying. Even though he wouldn't have any way maybe just certain things he's seen, you know, and then he's teaching him to speak so that when the guy comes in, like they can't he and the head of the hospital who's trying to get rid of him can have a conversation to show that this guy is not a simpleton. He is a functioning human being, and, he, you know, he has nowhere to go, and we need to keep him and ask him, you know, questions so we can study him, basically. I think that that's pretty much how it is. Probably not all the way, you know, I'm missing things, but, you know, and he, like, teaches him a full conversation, like, just teaching him, like, okay, when he comes in and he asks you your name, you're going to say, hi, I'm John Merrick, derp derpa derp derp and then, like, uh, the head of the hospital, they come in, they have this conversation, and he catches on. He's like, okay, well, how long did you and uh, Anthony Hopkins rehearse this, you know, take to rehearse this uh, dialogue you got going on with me? And he doesn't say anything, and he sits down. He's like, see? And then they both, you know, the doctors charge out of the room. and like, okay, you have a week. Like I said, he's gone. Charges out of the room. Anthony Hopkins like, wait, wait, wait. And then, you know, Merritt gets up and he starts, you know, um starts recanting like uh, like the Lord's prayer, like verbatim. Like and then he, he you know, he's speaking and he's like, I didn't teach him that. See, that wasn't me. This is all him. He's got a he's got a mind, sir. He can be taught things. You know, but it's just a powerful scene and just that you know, like I said, it's the first one where you you, and the audience knows this guy, he's just a tortured human. And then the next scene is the best scene of the movie with Anthony Hopkins brings him to his house to meet his wife. You know, which, you know, you, I mean, what do you tell your wife? You're like, look, here's the thing. <laughs> you know, what, what do you tell her? Like, uh, just be prepared for the worst of the worst like, this guy is the most deformed, depressing human being you have ever met or ever will see. Just please don't be startled and bear with me. You know, and he brings him in and puts him in the dining room, and he's like, okay, Laura. I don't know if his name's Laura. That's just, you know, uh, just, uh, that's the first name that came to my mind. You know, come in and meet John. And she walks in, and she doesn't. she doesn't skip a beat. She doesn't, you know. She doesn't, you know, flutter. He doesn't see anything. She just comes up and politely shakes his hand, the good hand, and says, lovely to meet you, John. And, you know, of course you're waiting for him because he's not a simpleton, say, you know, lovely to meet you, but he's just standing there, you know, looking at her, and you see him where he almost starts to cry, and he gets really emotional. And...
1: Bear with me folks, this is the first time in his life where he's gotten attention from a woman and not been like, looked at as a freak, treated as a human being, and he just loses it, and he's just so happy to actually feel like a normal person for once. And it's very powerful but uh you know the scene goes on and you know they have a lovely conversation with T
0: and you know he he speaks like a you know he he's obviously real you know gruff and you know well for for the or life you know you can you know with all the restrictions and like he's got chronic bronchitis he can barely talk but they have a great conversation about, you know, their kids, and, you know, he finally is having a conversation with, you know, regular people, and, you know, he he has this picture of his mother that he's had his whole life, probably the only possession he has that he shows them, and it's very sweet, and, like, he's talking to the mother, and he's like, you know, she would be proud of me to have great friends like you guys, and, the mother just looks away and she starts crying too it's it's a great scene but um well i i'm I'm sorry to get emotional on you folks you know that's just how i roll but uh (laughs) if you've heard any of our pods before you know but uh again a very powerful scene and you know go watch the movie just for it alone um but uh after that, you know, uh, Anthony Hopkins, like some people are coming to him from the hospital. Like the head nurse, which is, she's always kind of been like, okay, yeah, he, he, he's he got a, a bad condition and, you know, that's just who he is. She cleans up after him and, you know, helps him go to the bathroom. She's about it. She's like, she's the real deal nurse, man. She's got it together. She, she you know, this, this guy doesn't, you know, scare her or, you know, she's not, you know, off-putted by him. But she tells him, like, after this, he starts bringing in, like, all kinds of people to meet John. You know, all these aristocrats, and they come in, they have a conversation. You can tell a lot of them are, are startled, but, you know, he's, he's talking to them, like, John's talking to the people, you know, Anthony Hopkins bringing in. He's like, it's just so sad. You know, people understandably are scared by what they don't understand, you know, and... um He's bringing in, like, like all his buddies and, you know, colleagues to meet him and talk to him. Now he's got some confidence and now that he's, you know, let his wife meet him, he thinks that this would be good because, you know, when he met him, he was a recluse. He didn't talk. But now, um, you know, he thinks it would be good for him to meet people, you know, and people that are going to respect him, not, you know, idiots in the street that are going to throw apples or, you know, potatoes at him and, and just – uh talk to him like he's not a person like colleagues he knows that'll be respectful so he brings these people in to meet him and the the head nurse that's got together is like well this is just a bragging thing at this point you're bringing these people in you're exploiting him just as bad as the people in the in the circus did and you know that anthony hopkins and he's like no he's like this is good for him it's you know social you know um but uh like and then he sits down he thinks, maybe that is what I'm doing. You know, he, he wrestles, you know, with his inner thoughts, you know. And there's this this douchebag, like just one of the worst people you can imagine comes in. He's like an orderly and he's like, oh, I can make some money off this, a show freak. And, you know, he like tells all these people to the ball. He's like,
1: I got first class tickets to see elephant mine. If any of you want to see him, you know, you get me And,
0: you know, they pay him, and, like, he, he like, just disturbingly just comes in there with a whole group of people, and they just, you know, embarrass him, and they, like, you know, just, you know, uh, exploit him. And this guy is just a monster, which is how he's treating him. And Anthony Hopkins knows nothing about it. It's at night when nobody else is there. But, uh... Like, uh, after that, one of the spectators that, you know, paid to go see him at night when nobody else is there was his trainer. And he, you know, this guy, he he has no other way to make money. And, you know, Anthony Hopkins is taking him in, you know. Um, the big thing for him was, like, uh, like they were about to kick him out of the hospital. And, like, the freaking queen of wells comes in and, like, personally thanks the hospital for, like, you know, taking him in and being nice to him, and giving this you know this man a home, in which he would never get anywhere else. And they're like, "Oh fuck! Now we would we're, we're stuck with him." And Anthony Hopkins was happy, and they like they tell him they're like, "This is your new home, John." And it's a really great scene, you know, where they tell him, and he's just so taken aback. He's like, "I have a home now. I have friends. You know, I I've I've." I've never been this happy in my life, and then this douchebag comes in and exploits him, and and just ruins all of it. And like, uh, like, like I said, one of the guys who paid to come in was his old handler, and he takes him back. Kids snaps him, and he's like, "You're going to perform." And then they get to the circus, and they like he, he, you know, he's more disobedient towards his handler, and like, he's a very timid person, of course, because just how he's been treated his whole life. But you know, the handler. Uh, You know, can't help him, and he's fighting him every every part of the way. And you know when they, you know, he tries to make him perform again. Like he just, you know, is real dour. And like even the people watching the performances, like that talking to the handler, like you're sick for exploiting this guy like you're doing. You know, and then you know the rest of the freaks, the freak show. You know, the tall man, fucking Kenny Baker as a dwarf comes and helps him you know they uh, they take him out you know r2d2 if y'all don't know who kenny baker is you know they break they bust him out and uh you know uh uh give him a ticket on the ferry and he rides the ferry you know of course covered up and sends him home and you know help him make it back to the uh, back to his buddy back to his buddy old anthony hopkins in the hospital that was so nice to him but on the way like he gets to the train station, and there's it's probably a scene you you've heard of if you know anything about this story, where he gets to the train station and like some punk kids are like messing with him because they you know they don't see him he's, he's covered up, but then one of them comes over and steals his wig or like not his wig but like his uh his mask garment, and like everybody's like oh my god, and like he like he's running he's trying to run away, and like he accidentally knocked down a little girl. And then everybody's like, oh,
1: what an, what an asshole, let's
0: get him. And then they're like, oh, what a freak, let's call him. And, you know, and then, like, everybody's looking at him, and he's, like, stuffing are like, ah, oh, you freak, you disgusting, you, you monster. Like, somebody put him out of his misery. He's like, you inhuman garbage, you animal. And, you know, it's a very powerful scene.
1: You know, where he tells these people that he's more than that. He's not an animal or a freak. He's a human being.
0: And the police come in and break it up and ask him, you know,
1: questions and get him back to his guy. And he's back home with his people. And he's been invited to a play, you know, with royalty.
0: And, you know, like uh, like the lead actress, like there's a scene earlier where she comes in, she's very sweet to him. She even gives him a, a kiss on the good cheek. You know, I can't imagine what that would be like for the guy. You know, he's you know, he's he's barely ever talked to a woman, much less, you know, get I mean I you know and and this is like how just think of like the most high profile actress you can think of that's a very sweet person. I wasn't going to say Angelina Jolie, but she seems like she'd be a bitch. Um, you know, just like maybe a Jennifer Aniston comes in, like one of the most, one of the most recognizable actresses out there, gives him an autograph portrait and says, you know, you should come watch a play that I'm in. And, you know, he's like, oh, I've I've never been to the theater. She's like, you've never been? And, of course, you know, she's playing. Of course, this thing's never been to the theater. Look at him. But uh, she's like, you never been, you know? And she's like, I, he's like, I've never even seen the building. Like he, like from his hospital room, he can see like the top of the steeple, but that's all he can see. And he's like been using his spare time to build this steeple, and it's really neat. Like a lot of the ladies in the hospital that were scared of him, they see what he can do, and they're like, oh, that's neat, you know. He's a he's a little artist, and you know he's got you know pictures that he's drawn around his room, and it's really sweet. But, like, it it caps off the movie with him, you know, going to see this play, and it's, like, a wonderful thing. Of course, you all know plays back then to them were, like, the freaking top of entertainment. That's the only way you got entertainment was to see, you know, a play, so on and so forth. But uh, they watch this play, and, you know, at the end of it, the actress comes out, and she's like, you know... And I'd like to thank a very special guest in the audience, Mr. John Merrick, and how brave he's been. And, you know, he, Anthony Hopkins is behind him. Everybody in the arena is clapping. He's like, stand up, John. And he stands up, and, you know, it's just like he's fulfilled his life. You know, he's look at all these friends around him and all these people that aren't, you know, uh, talking about him, you know, th- behind glass or – or throwing things at him why he's on or kicking him why he's on the street you know you know all these people that recognize him as a person that deserves respect you know and he's you know fulfilled at that point like he gets home and you know him and anthony hopkins in the hospital room where he lives is like talking about it. he's like it was so wonderful all of these great people and all of these friends that I have. And he's like, well, that's very good. And, you know, Anthony Hopkins feels good. He feels like he has done the right thing, regardless of what the nurse said earlier, and that it wasn't just all exploitation. Like, look how happy this guy is. But um, throughout the movie, it's a theme. You know, he says, I wish I could just
1: sleep like a normal person just for one night.
0: You know, and you see him like, like he has to sleep like with his head and like his lap. Because his head is so big, like, like it'll break his neck if he doesn't, you know, if he sleeps on it the wrong way or, like, maybe, like, cut off his circulation. It'll kill him. He has to sleep like that. Like, I guess from trial and error they found out that's how he has to do it. And he, some of the portraits in his room are people sleeping just normally. It's just this, the last thing he's always wanted. And, you know, you know, they cap it off. And Anthony Hopkins is like, you have a good night. And he's like, you have a good night too. And, like, you know, he's finished his steeple. It looks great. You know, his life is complete. You know, he he just, like, he's like, I hope my mother is
1: proud of me. And she knows that I have been good to people. And now they have been good to me. And I hope she's proud of me.
0: And, you know, he, after Anthony Hopkins leaves, he gets all the pillows off the bed and he sits down and he sleeps like a normal person. And the movie ends. It's perfect. It's a great movie.
1: Unlike you know, just society and you know how they viewed people with deformities in those days. It was just brilliant from beginning to end. I just loved every bit
0: of it. I couldn't recommend it more. Ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, like I said, get I mean, the it's I don't think it's on any streamers from what I see. I, I again, I bought it for four ninety nine on Xbox. Uh, give it a watch for sure. When you got a chance, uh, like I said, very powerful. No, you probably won't weep like I did, but I have a very low uh, constitution for deeply emotional scenes. I'll be the first to tell you. Um, Batman v Superman had me crying too, so you know. And I know, know you cried during that movie. So, it, like I said, don't don't take it as like a, a freaking emotional roller coaster of a movie. It's just a very basic story about a man trying to get back his. You know just trying to have a humanity in the first place you know but uh the last movie i want to talk well first i want to talk a little bit about the the series uh crimson peak uh like one of david lynch's most uh recognizable things he's made was like a show and like the I think it was the early 90s or late 80s where, you know, about this weird town. I heard it was really good, and I've been trying to watch it, folks. But, boy, is it hard to get through. I think I think it's just the fact that it doesn't hold up. Like, like everybody I've talked to about it is like, it'll blow your mind. Oh, my God, Crimson Peaks. That's a great show. David Lynch is a genius. But, uh, like, but this movie, though, or this show, uh, Like, I'm into, like, the first six episodes, and I kind of see where it's going. It's going for a big twist that I'm sure back in that day would have been mind-blowing. But, you know, all the intense TV shows we have today, I'm not sure if it holds up. It's got some weird guys. It's got that guy from Dune in it. You know, his boy plays, like, an FBI agent. You know, Kyle, uh, whatever his name was, is in it. And, you know,
1: it's... eh,
0: I'm trying to get through it, but I I can't talk about it now because I haven't finished it, but eh, it's looking like, like I said, like it just doesn't hold up with TV today. You know, we got Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad and Dexter, you know, and this is kind of like a twist show, and it's got some weird elements to it, but nothing like, say, a Dune or an Elephant Man so you know I'm trying to get through it, but man it it's 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 tough, folks, but you know i'm i'm gonna bear with it and hopefully finish the first season. It's only eight episodes, and I'm in the like the sixth one, I'm just like eh, uh." uh. Like I said, I'm sure it was good for you guys, you uh Gen Xers that saw it when it first came on TV and it was wow factor, but I don't think today that it holds up. I could be wrong. Maybe I get to these last two episodes and I'm like mind blown. It was amazing, but as of right now, I do not recommend it to watch. It will bore you to tears. Um the last movie I want to talk about was David Lynch's first big break and uh an amazing film just from beginning to end. Just amazing. In a certain amazing in a way where like tools will hate it, they can't look anything deeper into a story than what's on its surface. Like people who didn't like movies like *The Witch* will not like it, because they can only see a certain depth. They can't see what, what image, what, what message the director was really trying to get to the audience. You know, Um, a movie *1977* also in black and white. *Eraser* hit like his first big film that he made and David Lynch was known before this to make a lot of, like, short films. He's, like, the master of the short film. He's made, like, f- like a thousand short films of just weird and creepy things going on. I haven't seen a lot of them. I should watch more of them. Maybe there's a couple of uh, recommendations I can give you guys once I get into that. But as far as now, you know, like I said, this was his first film, and, like, it was a a nightmare, you know, making it from what I hear. Like, he, uh, like they kept running out of money, so it kept getting put off. It took five years for this movie to get made, you know. And, uh, like, the guy, the, the head of it, if you ever seen the cover of Racerhead, you've seen the guy with the crazy hair. He kept that crazy hair for all five years, the lead of the role, this Henry character, which Henry is, you know, a recluse. He's the average Joe. He's you and me, you know. He's He's very uncomfortable around other people, you know he's got a job at at the mill and you know he just goes on he does life you know and like the opening scene it's like a it's it's really weird like um it's a it's a sex scene basically but like the weirdest and and not in the sense that i'm telling you like it's all metaphorical you know you see, like, this man in space, and he's dropping, like, this sperm-like entity, and it lands in a in a crater on Monk. What it's trying to say is it's a sex scene. That's just how I interpret it. You might interpret it a different way. That's just what I see, like, basically it's Henry knocking up this woman and maybe showing the vastness that this can be. Like, it wasn't supposed to happen. It was a mistake. Like, he knocked up this woman. It doesn't show them actually having coitus, quote-unquote, but uh like it's just weird and like it's just a it's just a metaphor for like just how vast like like all these space and this this moon like conception is not just a it's something we 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 don't take a second look at today but i think david lynch was saying it's it's a serious thing man that's you know and like a lot of the opening part is kind of boring like he's just walking through walking all weirdly you know you see that Just imagine that weird kid walking down the hall, just how he walks, you know, just like real little steps and like back arched and like his arms aren't moving and he's just going forward, just an odd character, just, and it it drags on a little bit, I'll admit, but you know, like, like it's almost got a comedy to it, what maybe just how mundane life is in general, like just how he's walking very slowly and everything's black and white and everything's dull. And he just got off work and he's going home. And just maybe just how, like I said, mundane life is. And just a uh a metaphor for that is 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 what I'd like to like to call it. And go watch the movie first before you listen to this pod. That's what I should have told you. But uh, you know, either way, you know, uh watch all these movies and like I said, just come back and, and listen, you know, and just you know maybe what I tell you uh will help you figure it out. Because a lot of people that watch this movie for the first time is like, oh, David Lynch just likes to be weird to be weird. This movie is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It's just a bunch of imagery that's just supposed to shock me, and it doesn't because it's dumb. Wrong. Wrong. This movie, I mean, even if it's not exactly what David Lynch had in mind when he was making it, I draw something from every scene, except for one I'll tell you about it later, but it's great, but still. But, like, everything, like, like, has an underlying meaning to it, like, and just the scene after this is hilarious, where he's just walking down, you know, all slow, into the elevator, and he clicks the button to go up, and it's just a shot, and it's just a, you know, a, you know, a a shot that's far back, and it's just on him, and it's just waiting, you're just waiting for the elevator doors to close, and he's just standing there, there's nobody else in the room, it's all black, you know, you're waiting for the elevator doors to close still, and you're like, ah, is it going to, ah, there it goes, and they just close, it's just, it's, I don't know if he meant to be funny, but it is, it is to me, it's just a goofy scene, but you see the, you know, them close, and you know, it's, like, there's a lot of very creepy imagery, just how, like like, almost all the houses and homes and the beds are more, like, cartoonish, but in, like, a weird way, like... Just how they present it, like like he's got a flower on like his nightstand, but it's just, it's not in a pot. It's just a bunch of dirt, and there's a there's a plant in it, just piled high dirt on his. Just very strange, folks. That, that's what this guy's about. He's about being strange and being obscure and being you know himself. Again, not a movie for tools. Um, so like I said, like the first scene is like conception. And then the woman comes to him. She's like, "Henry, I'm, I, I'm with child. You know, you. The, something has to be done. You know." He goes over to the parents' house and just, like again, like a like a metaphor for how awkward it is. Like, okay, he he knocked up these people's daughter. Now he's going over to the house to have dinner with them because definitely back in the seventies, and you know, he, the, it's traditional people. You know, you you get a girl pregnant, you you marry her. And, you know, you stay with her and you'll know, have a family. That's how it works, at least back then. Of course, those values are long dead now. But back then, that's what, you know, he was trying to say is, you know, he goes over and he meets the mother and it's just just how they're talking back and forth is very awkward. Oh, where do you
1: work? Oh, I I, I, I work at the mill.
0: And I like I said, I think it's a metaphor for just how weird and scary it can be to, you know, meet. The parents for the first time and just what do you say and how how do you act polite and just be on your best behavior and for some reason the dad has like a like a rictus grin that's just very unsettling the whole time he's just very overly nice to him ah what are you doing there hey you know one of those guys it's like hey i can i can fix anything and and uh, you know uh screw all you know japanese people you know one of them guys you know, just like, oh, Henry, get in here, Uh, give me a firm handshake, and he's just smiling the whole time, he's, he's really nice, he's really weird, and, you know, and scary, and like, there's this scene, like, where they all have this bird, like, each one of them has, like, their own Cornish hen to eat, and, like, it's all shriveled, and he's like, he's like, Henry, why don't you cut the birds for us, and he's like, do it, so I, so I just picked, picked this, this knife up here, and, uh, and just, and just cut it. He's like, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. He's like, okay. Okay, I'm, uh, I'll give it my best. But, uh, you know, there's there's no promises here. And, you know, he cuts into it. And then, like, a a weird ooze starts coming out of it. And, like, then the mother just, like, goes, oh. You know, like when, uh, you know, like they, on a, on want, that's, that movie with the people. Like, when you find out one of them's not one of them, they just point at you and go, oh really weird but i again you know you, maybe that one is weird just for the sake of weird why isn't mother doing this she runs out of the room and the father chases after her. he's like honey what's wrong maybe it's like how mother-in-laws overreact when things don't go well that's what that, that's what i guess you know like like she's freaking out when it's not really that big a deal like that the, that the uh the dinner didn't go as planned and she just needs to chill Big time, trust me. But, uh, like, she goes in there, and she's like, did you have sex with my daughter, Henry? Did you? And he, she, like, pushes him up against the wall. This is, like, a scene later. And then she starts looking all over his face or something. It, it gets really intense. But the point is, you know, it goes, it doesn't go well. And by the end of it, they're all like, okay, you two got to get married. There's a marriage, you know, and, uh, you know, they finally have the child, and, you know the the big premise of the movie is like that draws you in is like the child apparently is well to put it in perspective like she says at the hospital like like she had the baby and she's like like we need to go back to the hospital and get apparently they left it there i don't know what the fuck um they left it there and they're like if it e- if it even is a baby like, you know, like, they don't even know if it's a baby, like, apparently, she gave birth to just some inhuman monster, I don't know, like, like, I don't know if he, and you're thinking, like, horribly disfigured, like, elephant man type, you know, because that's what he's known for, but, you know, they go back to the hospital, and they get, it and they bring it home, and it's wrapped up in this little, uh, it's like a, a little ball wrapped up, and it's, it's head is sticking out, it's, like he, ne- David Lynch, never said exactly how he did this prop. He won't ever say it for some reason. I don't know what they exactly did, but you know, I was thinking elephant man type, horribly scarred human deformity. But it's it looks kind of like a like a like a flayed goat, perhaps like a goat calf that might have got mutilated. I mean, in a certain way, it's kind of cute to be honest with you. You know, it shouldn't be a human baby, but it like it, it it's it's even in the black and white you can tell it's like uh like uh shiny and oily and got some kind of viscous substance on it and it's just its eyes are all going different directions it's, it's kind of weird looking but uh they're like that's our baby you know we that that's him that's that's junior and uh and you know it one night it starts you know crying and she's like i can't take this anymore i'm leaving i gotta go to my mother for the night you just you just make sure it it doesn't escape, okay? And you know the baby's just sitting there, still crying. Once she leaves, it stops crying. Henry keeps looking over. He's like, "Oh, what if this thing does something? What the hell do I do?" You know, he's he's not a, he wasn't ready to be a father. He's not ready for life in general. Like again, that's that's the underlying theme to this movie. Is like this guy is not ready for anything, especially not a child. You know, here now, it's here, and you're gonna have to deal with it. And you know he's just periodically peeking at it and making sure it's okay. I can't say if it's a he or she because it never tells you. I think it's a boy. We'll call it the boy. It's the boy. Yeah. Um, uh. But yeah, just like I said, still a lot of weird imagery and weird things happening happening with the with the creepy baby and like the mother's finally back and you know Henry comes home from work and he like lays on the bed while she's in the in the shower and he's just laying on the bed and he's got a happy look on his face and like well that's the first time in the movie he's shown any kind of like you know happiness like, like he's just smiling and looking at the uh, the heater like the whatever they call them old timey heaters like a furnace or uh, you know uh what whatever they're called he's he's looking at it and he's he's got a happy look on his face the baby's fine it's on the table his wife's in the shower and he's looking at it and all of a sudden it shows what he's seeing and it's like it takes him to like like he's imagining inside the heater there's this lady that like gets on like a broadway type stage and sings to him and she's got she's got really weird looking cheeks for like no reason at all okay that that's just for sake of just being weird i mean i can't think of any reason why she looks like that except for that's just how she looks but you know she's singing to henry and maybe that's just you know his supreme thought of what beauty is you know she's singing to him and she's like hey everything's going to be fine there's hope hope, Henry, you know, yeah, your life sucks, but so does everybody else, and they're all, there's always hope, and then it shows that, like, these, like, weird, like, sperms falling from the ceiling, and, like, she's stepping on them, and I'm kind of thinking maybe that's, like, you know, F responsibility, you know, F conception, you know, F, you know, babies, you know, screw this, you know, you're fine, just keep your head up, and just keep going, Henry, you're okay, pal, you know, and, uh, like, uh, Later on, like, the wife, she's finally had enough, and she just leaves. And there's a weird scene where she's trying to get her suitcase, and she keeps trying to pull it out from under the bed, and it keeps getting stuck. And this goes on for, like, a minute, man, where she's just pulling this suitcase and it's banging up against the bed. And he's trying to get it, and it's just baffling on many levels. But, uh you know, she leaves, and, and I think she might come back once, but she's basically gone, you know, she's like, I'm leaving, I need another night alone with my mother, and he's kind of like, like, the first time, he just, like, nuts up, he's like, you know, just like, he's just like, fuck it, um, leave, and don't come back, and, you know, I, I don't need you, I can take care of Junior, and, you know, uh, like she leaves and she doesn't come back and there he is with his baby and he's kind of like, well, you know, I stood up for myself finally against someone, which is good, you know, you do it every time, but maybe this particular instance wasn't the one cuz you do need help. Cuz you don't know what you're doing. You have a child now, a, a child that needs special treatment, you know, he's feeding it every now and then and uh you know, like uh he's trying his best to take care of it and then you know, like like, maybe David Lynch is saying at this point, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? And then the worst does, always, like it does in life, happen. You know, like, you know, the baby, he, he's looking at it, and he thinks it kind of looks sick, but he's not sure. And he comes over and he checks on him, and he's like, oh, you're okay. And then he turns around, and then like the best delivered, si- uh, the, the best delivered uh, line of the whole movie he turns around and he sees him. He's like, got flies all over him. He looks like he's dead. You know, he's just, well, he's not dead, but he, he's still breathing. But he just, he just all of a sudden, just, he turns around. And he's just in like the worst, most disturbing shape. He's like, oh, you are sick. That's just amazingly delivered. it just makes you feel like, oh, so bad for this guy. Like his poor baby that, you know, nobody is taking a second look at. And he, he does care for it on some level. And he feels like he should be a father. And it's like, oh, no, now it's sick. I need to help him. And like puts a little humidifier next to him, and like you know does what he can. But you know, again, like like how we all are, we we don't know what to do in a lot of situations like that. We, you know, he's he's just doing the best he can. But you know, he's holding it together. But um, you know, then you know things go on, and the baby gets better, and he 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 sits back on the bed, and like again another like scene with like the lady singing a song and she's like in heaven
1: everything is fine
0: which is like actually a kind of catchy tune for like you know the period and what he was trying to do and i i think what it's saying is like uh you know henry you need to kill yourself because now she's like no there's no hope no more just just kill yourself and the things will be better you know because at this point you're at rock bottom it's not gonna get no better nigga you know uh but yeah um so he's trying to keep it together, but then, like, he's looking at the baby, and it's been wrapped up in the sheet the whole movie. Like, and you just see its head stick out. And it's like a little, like, like just imagine, like, a ball wrapped up, and, like, he comes over with, like, scissors. He's going to release him and maybe, like, put him in a different kind of, you know, carrying, you know, maybe, like, on a cover instead of something. When he, he opens up the sheet. Like, he realizes, like, like, this sheet was the only thing keeping this child alive like it was keeping him together like like keeping all his organs like together where they wouldn't just sprawl out everywhere like this it was basically like his you know um exoskeleton was this little uh thing that the doctors wrapped up and he you know opens it up and he's like oh i screwed up man this is it you know and then the child is, like, freaking out, and there's all kinds of weird, crazy stuff going on in the room, and he, like, stabs the child. And, like, then, th- this is where a lot of people say, I oh, it just gets too stupid to be stupid, but I think I see what he's trying to say here. Like, the baby's head gets real big and, like, takes up the whole room, and, like, Henry is just against the wall while the head is just getting bigger, and it looks like a silly effect for then It was the only bad effect, I think, in the movie, because, you know, that's something you need to do with CGI, but still, like, I'm thinking it's trying to say like the problem is too big now, Henry, like as in the child's head is getting so big, like the problem's too big, Henry, and uh you know it's out of your hands now, and there's nothing you can do, and the next scene is him and the lady standing in the light, and just you know he's he's uh he's in a place, and i'm I'm thinking he committed suicide that's like he committed suicide and now he's with the lady that was in the furnace. And they're hanging out, and they're hugging. And she's like, ah, I see you made it. Now you're good. And then the movie's over. Like I said, a lot of people watching that movie would be like, what the fuck did I just see? I mean, just, I mean come on. I was, I was stupid. But like I said, it's just like a story about where this man is in over his head like so many of us are, and he's just trying to do his best to be a good person and get through it.
1: And that's what it's about.
0: Except for this one scene where, like, his head falls off. And, like, some kid, like, takes his head and takes it to a pawn shop, and there's, like, a, a machine in the pawn shop that a guy's running that makes erasers, and, like, they take his head, and, like, apparently they can make good erasers out of his head, stay with me, uh, and, uh, like, uh, like they're like, oh, this is good quality, we can make a lot of good erasers with this head, and, like, it, it doesn't, like, I guess that's what the, the title of the movie's about, but... It's really out of place in the movie. It's just all of a sudden, you know, and you're like, what the the hell was that? You know, like, that you got me on, okay? I don't know what he's trying to say there, okay? But I'm sure, I'm certain, he's got a good explanation. Maybe if I see the guy, I'll ask him. Or maybe look up a forum of a bunch of other douchebags that think they know what they're talking about, but they don't, just like me. But, uh, yeah, that's my... uh my David Lynch uh, talk today on director day for all you screen fiends out there. I, I hope you enjoyed it. And I, hope you, I hope you forgive me for getting emotional because you know how I can get. But um, I'm hoping you had fun too, you know. Uh, this is something I'd like to do more often. I hate, you know, when I can't get the other guys here. But I, the reason I knew I'd have to do this one so is because, come on, who, who am I convince to watch these movies? Like, I, can get, I can't even get Bernard to watch Ghostbusters. And you're telling me he's going to watch movies this effed up? I don't think so. You know, but uh, hopefully I've convinced you to at least give him a try and check out this guy David Lynch. Yeah, he's a weirdo, but he's his own man, and he can he's to say the least creative. Okay, As you can say that for him. But yeah, uh, hopefully next week we'll have maybe some of the other guys back. I I, I don't know why we say next week on the show. It's just whenever the hell we feel like doing another pod. Whenever we do the next pod, hopefully I have somebody with me and maybe we'll get to that old uh, that old uh, kindergarten cop too uh commentary track I know you've all been frothing at the mouth for. I know all you screen fiends out there just can't get enough of kindergarten cop two. So we'll get that to you. Hopefully you know hopefully I don't pull a George R. R. Martin and, you know say, well, I'm not going to get to it, you know, ever. So just deal with it. But hopefully I'll get to it. If you guys even want that. You never know. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Just tell us by, you know, getting on our Twitter and saying, hey douchebag, you don't know what you're talking about. Also the kindergarten cop idea is stupid and you should kill yourself if you want to say that's fine you know at least you said something at least you gave us some kind of feedback that's just what we want good or bad you know but uh yeah get on there and and tell us what you think and maybe if you like this idea of this director day i've deemed it you know where we take a guy and we analyze his films and uh, give us your feedback and uh, i appreciate all you guys uh staying to the end if you are at the end don't know i might just be sitting here talking to a box just talking to myself like a fiend like an idiot very good possibility but if you did stay i really do appreciate it and uh i hope you come back next week bye